Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Beauty Biz Show. Super excited about today's show. I'm introducing you to my guest. Her name is Terry Bryant, and she is the founder of Guide Beauty. Why am I so excited? Because Terry was just cruising along in her career as a makeup artist and an educator for some pretty impressive brands. We're talking Dior, Smashbox, Stila. And one day she realized she had to pivot because of a medical diagnosis. So I said to her in the beginning of the show, Terry, we need to hear from more women like you who are facing challenges like true beauty business warriors. She has created this incredible makeup line called Guide Beauty, and you're going to hear all about it today. Hey, I know you guys, this has been a crazy year and many of us are feeling stagnant and stuck. This show is going to help you get that beauty biz soul lit again. You're going to love the show. Maybe this is the nudge you need to take an idea that's been swirling around in your head and actually take the action steps necessary to step into inventing something. I know she got me all excited and and inspired as a beauty practitioner and a beauty entrepreneur. Also, this show is now available on YouTube. So go ahead and listen here. And then if you want to see the visuals where Terry is putting her makeup on with these incredible tools that she has invented, you can head over to YouTube and just put in Lori Crete and the Beauty Biz Show will pop up. It's a fairly new channel. So go ahead and check it out. And thanks for joining me today. I I know, I know you're going to love this show. So stay tuned. Hello, and welcome to the Beauty Biz Show. I'm your host, Lori Crete. I'm a licensed esthetician, spa owner, industry consultant, speaker, and journalist, and the founder of the Beauty Biz Club, which is the only professional success-based society designed to dramatically up your bookings, increase your profits, and provide you with industry-specific resources that are needed to succeed. If you'd like to know more about how you can become a member of the Beauty Biz Club, please visit beautybizclub.com. Now I invite you to join me as I feature inspirational messages from industry gurus and practical tips to tap into your best success. Stay tuned for some serious beauty biz entertainment. Hey everybody, it's Lori Crete here. I want to welcome you to the Beauty Biz Show. And today I'm excited to introduce you to my guest. Her name is Terry Bryant and she is the founder of Guide Beauty. How are you, Terry? I'm great, thank you. Thanks so much for having me on. Well, I'm so excited that you're here because we, we in the beauty industry, really need to hear from women like you right now. And I'm talking about women who are facing challenges like beauty warriors. And that's when I read your bio and I started learning more about you. I'm like, oh my gosh, she is a tough cookie and she's making the challenges in her life work for her. So thank you for being here. Thank you. Where are you today? I'm in Winter Park, Florida. Oh, Winter Park, Florida. Now, if I were going to fly in there, I used to be a flight attendant. So this is how I know everything. What is the closest airport? Uh, Orlando Airport. You fly into Orlando and we are about 30 minutes drive from there. So super close. Okay. So you know what I'm talking about. I'm in Palm Springs. It's hot. 
hot. You're in my dream place. I love Palm Springs. I used to live in LA. My aunt and uncle were in Palm Springs and I would drive all the time to see them. And I felt like they just had the life. Like I just imagined caftans and cocktail hour and Palm Springs, I think is just the best. You've pretty much just explained my life since lockdown. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Yeah. I'm an East Coast girl. So this was my dream. I landed here in the winter and I go, oh, this is where I'm going to grow old. So I feel very fortunate that I manifested it. So good. Good for you. I will be there shortly or at least as soon as I can. Where are you from? California? Where are you from? I'm originally from Rochester, New York, and then moved to New York City when I first started my career and then to L.A., And then my husband and I had been doing long distance for um, 25 years. And then uh, eventually I was like, all right, I'll go to Florida. And now that I'm here, I probably should have given in sooner. This is actually really nice, especially for this time in my life. But we both dream of of ending up in in Palm Springs ultimately. Oh, very cool. Well, we'll go have a coffee when you end up here. I'll have you over for an afternoon cocktail out by the pool. (laughs) I will take up on that offer. Okay, good. What up? So where were you in L.A. before you moved to Florida? I started in L.A. because I was working for uh, Smashbox Cosmetics, which is in Culver City. So uh, when I first moved there, I was over by Playa Vista and Marina Del Rey, that kind of area. Eventually moved to West Hollywood before I ended up coming here. Okay, because I lived in Sherman Oaks for a long, long time before I moved out here. And I used to go to the cutest little Brazilian cafe in Culver City. Oh, nice. What the name of it was, but it's a famous little landmark there. No, it's, it's amazing how my brain has turned to mush as I'm getting older. And I can never, things that I thought I would never forget, I just seem to fall right out. But I feel like if you name it, I might. I might. Well, I can't remember anything either. So if it comes to the that today, then I'll let you know. But was Smashbox the makeup company that was created by a celebrity's wife? Am I... Smashbox was founded on Smashbox Studios, and so the great-grandsons of Max Factor actually founded it, and they had this, you know, before Smashbox, sort of, when you were going to shoot, you were going to shoot in New York City. When you were going to get a, you know, work in the makeup industry, you were going to do it in New York City, and they first founded the studio, the photo studios, where, so it sort of put LA on the map, and then they were creating makeup products for use in their studio, and a lot of their clientele was sort of, you know, Makeup was growing legs and walking off, and they were like, "Huh, people seem to like this." And so they ended up creating a brand out of their their hair, sort of their studio heritage. Okay, well, I don't know if I've even really shared this before, but I am an esthetician, a licensed esthetician. But I wanted to enter into the beauty world as a makeup artist, and everyone talked me out of it. So, yeah, everyone talked me out of it, and it's it, crazy. I just thought that was my dream job. And everyone's like, no, don't do it. It takes so long to find a steady income. And I listened to other people. So I love to pick the brain of somebody who found their way into it very successfully. Take me back because I always like to know what was your first job? Like, how did you start in the working force and at what age? Oh, well, I mean, my first, first job was probably babysitting and I had sort of random jobs along the way working for my mom and her tablecloth rental business and, and, you know, picking up jobs, sort of, I think some, a few retail jobs, but my first real job in cosmetics was working behind the Chanel counter when I was going to, uh, to university at Syracuse and I loved it. And I had already, at that point I was already hooked on makeup. I knew I wanted to do something with makeup, but I was going to school studying elementary and special education 
I ended up going to uh, a training for Chanel and left that day and said, that's, that's it. I need, I need to do something along those lines and sort of ran home to my mom and said, what am I going to do? I want to do that, but I'm already in school for education. And she sort of helped me realize that those worlds combined, right? I was already doing makeup and I just come from an education school for cosmetics. And so I could actually combine those worlds. And so I ultimately, I ended up moving to New York and sort of telling anybody and everybody who would listen as I was working as a makeup artist that I wanted to get into artistry and education until Dior gave me sort of my first shot at doing that. They actually have gorgeous makeup. Dior has gorgeous makeup. So was that your first, you never, did you do independent stuff where, or you knew right away you wanted to go into the education side of it? Yeah, I had been working independently as a makeup artist for, for a little bit. And then, uh, you know, to sort of offset or, or balance up my need for more money, <laughs> I, uh, I was working behind a cosmetics counter uh, in New York at Saks Fifth Avenue as well which was probably the best thing I could have done because that was the place where I could start telling people I wanted to get into artistry and education. And I think at, at one point, Christian Dior was looking for an education lead for their Northeast division. And uh, because of my background in elementary and special education and because I had been working as a makeup artist, they gave me a shot, which was very fortunate because I don't know if I was truly qualified at the time, but I had a great mentor and I was so passionate and committed to it. So I was like, I'm just going to learn real quick. And that was really the beginning. And I think the mentor that I had in that job was sort of the foundation for everything that has come since. So funny. I interviewed Cheryl Lowe. She it was Rob Lowe's wife just last week. And she was a makeup artist. And she said the same thing. She got to where she was in the world of makeup and taken very seriously because of mentorship. It really, it makes a difference. You know, Certainly, you know, you can do it on your own, although I'm a big proponent. I think across the board, just relationships are extremely important to me. And I think part of the reason is, you know, I I learned what a healthy relationship is because my parents have such a great relationship. I saw their friendships. I saw what they valued. I think they instilled that in me, hopefully. But I can see it. I can see the sort of the, the network of good people that I've been fortunate enough to be around and that supported me. I definitely wouldn't have been able... I don't know if I would have had the confidence. I wouldn't certainly wouldn't have all the information I needed to have started Guide Beauty if I didn't have those relationships. And that's, you know, a good mentor is, is a great relationship. I don't think I've ever asked this question before, but tell me a little bit about your first mentor. Like, how did you find this person? Who was it? I'd love to hear about it. Sure. Her name is Joan. I won't do last name in case she's like, what do you do? Yeah. <laughs> She was a powerhouse. She was a head of education at the time for, for Christian Dior. And when I started, I originally had a different boss. But because I was in New York City, I was connected to that LVMH tower and the main headquarters and that main office. And so I was able to connect with her. And for some reason, she was kind enough to take me under her wings and we just connected. And she just taught me everything. I think I was so impressed by her because of the, she also at the time... Interestingly enough, when you think about cosmetics, I mean, certainly it, it's a, a women and, and men's world, right? We can all wear makeup. But at that time, it was a sea of men's faces in corporate. It, it was very rare to see a woman. And she not only was sort of at the table, she was like commanding the table. And she was sort of one of the highest level, uh, especially in our industry, in education, artistry and education, usually sort of peak at a certain point and she was went from sort of a VP director to a VP to a senior VP and she really she owned it she worked incredibly hard she was extremely confident she was also extremely kind but tough 
and she knew her stuff. She, uh, I mean, she worked like nobody I've ever seen. I mean, we, in education, sometimes your days start at five in the morning because you're setting up a training before everybody comes in and that's lots of moving and, and setting things up and you might be closing out your day at nine o'clock at night. And she was always there, always there. She was always the first one in the office and the last one to leave. And I just thought she was fabulous in so many ways and, I, and, and inspiring in so many ways. And, I, and I, she encouraged me. She, let, she made me feel like I could do it before I think I even knew that sort of you know, the ability was there because for you know for a long time you know I wanted it but I certainly didn't have the confidence at that age. I think for women like you're just describing to mentor somebody, she had to see something in you too because a strong, powerful, confident women think you can usually look at people and go, oh, they're going to be a good fit for this or they're going to be kind of a waste of my time to share all this knowledge with, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's certainly a nice way to look at it. And I, you know, I hope so. I think there was clearly a connection. You know, she might have gravitated also to what I gravitate towards it because I do believe, and it's also something she taught me, that if somebody is passionate and if they want to learn, you can teach them. You know, if they don't, if they're just coming in and they don't have the passion and the desire, good luck, right? But if they want it, you can get them there. And so probably she sort of recognized that I was willing to do whatever it took. And I recognized how fortunate I was to be in that position and to have access to her. So, yeah, I mean, she really was great. So now, you know, you want to pass it on. So I certainly look for that now in every opportunity I have to see if I can pass on what she gave to me. I think it's so cool how, you know, you can get into the world of makeup, the beauty industry. Not always are we taken seriously as beauty professionals, as career driven women, but you made a career out of it. You ended up moving across the country. So you ended up, how long were you with Dior and did you go right to Smashbox? I did. I was with Dior for five years. We are good thinking back on my brain. It's about, probably about four or five years if I'm thinking back correctly. And then when Smashbox called at the time, they were growing quickly. They had a, a really great sales team and they had some level of education, but they didn't have an education department. So when they called me, they were interested in developing their education department. And that was another opportunity that, you know, how could you pass up? Here was this really interesting company. They had a great story to tell. They were doing something unique. And it was a blank canvas. And they were saying, here, go ahead, sort of create create the playbook. Let's get started. And it was a very different experience because I come from a place like even Chanel working behind the counter was very structured. And you learn a lot there. And then you go to like Christian Dior and LVMH. And, you know, these powerhouse companies and, again, very structured, but you're limited to what you can see and what you have access to. You stay in your lane. So I stayed in the world of education, which obviously was my passion and that was okay. But when you get to a smaller company, like at the time, I mean, now they're obviously huge, but at the time Smashbox was much smaller and they were sort of, you know, we used to always say we're lean and agile and we can do anything, but this it was a small group of people that were very passionate about building this brand and you have access to every department. So you're working alongside, education was working alongside marketing and product development and sales. And, and then there was the photo studio aspect. So it gave me a look into all the different worlds that I might never have seen if I had stayed with these bigger brands that sort of keep you, you know, again, within your box and within your lane. So that itself, I think, was a, a great experience. So, uh, yeah, when they call it up. I could do LA for a year or so. This will, this will be fine. And I'll come back to New York. And then it took me a minute to adjust to LA. And then once I adjusted, I thought, well, now I'll never leave LA. Of course, I was wrong because here I am in Florida. So <laughs> you never know. 
Did your husband stay in New York the whole time you were in LA? Is that what you meant by you were bi-coastal? No, actually, there was, when I was in school, so I actually, I was going to Syracuse. I finished up my last semester at Syracuse in Florida, which is a, a whole other long story, but I wanted to, I wanted to meet up with one of my best friends who was going to school here. And my husband was our neighbor at the time and we met and, you know, connected very quickly, but I knew I wanted to move to New York to pursue my career. And so, you know, after several years here, I ended up, so there was a little blip in there before, you know, before coming to New York. So I'm, yeah, I moved to New York and we just stayed connected all those years. So from New York to LA, he was, he stayed and, and built his career here. And we just, we visited. I went there here once a month. He came to see me once a month, you know, and we, our relationship sort of you know, depending on the age and the phase we were in, it was sort of, there was sort of, you know, either a little looser, a little bit more locked in. And then as we got older, we really just sort of, you know, you can grow apart, certainly after all those years, we really grew together. And then hit a point where we're like, this is, this is crazy. Like we know we're at, we had both needed a little bit of growth and development on our own. And we had done that successfully. And uh, it was just time. That's funny because I would, Jay, who is my significant other, we've been together for 13 years, but I lived in LA and he was in Palm Springs for almost, I'd say 80% of our relationships. So when I sold my spot in LA and moved here, everyone was so terrified that we were going to hate each other <laughs> if we finally lived together for the first time. But it's been a great thing. Even COVID, you know, you take your relationship to a different level, no longer could we rush around all day, come home and say, oh, how was your day? And then go watch TV. Now you're stuck, both of us. Yeah. Were shut down for several months. So the conversations got deeper, right? You know, and it really was nice for our relationship. It is interesting, right? That that certainly being locked in together is gonna it's gonna do one or the other, right? It's either gonna gonna put you closer together or yeah, or certainly or make you realize the opposite, which fortunately sounds like we both hit the good side of that. So well, I want to talk about one of the things that I find to be so interesting is did you your current situation and why and how you founded God Beauty. So did you segue right? Did you stop working at Smashbox when you got the diagnosis of Parkinson's or was it before? Like how did that all transition and when did you decide I'm not gonna let this get me down, but I'm gonna use it as a tool to help other people? Yeah, I mean, you know, I I started, you know, once I knew, you know that I was going to get involved in the world of artistry and education. I knew I wanted to do both. I had that great experience at Dior. I moved to Smashbox, which was a great experience because it allowed me to develop my education skill set and also allowed me to continue to be the makeup artist because we had that studio setting, right? So I was working both worlds and I was loving it. At that time, thinking back, there was probably some early indication that there was something going on physically with my health. But because I was doing both makeup artistry and I was doing education, I was able to kind of ignore it a little bit. And I just kept watching my career pivot, sort of probably unknowingly. As the years were going on, I sort of I stuck with Smashbox. There were a few other stops along the way, other companies I worked with. And I continued doing artistry. But as sort of these little symptoms progressed, I started to realize, you know, I, you know, I was writing education programs for Josie Marin and Temp2, um, and they were asking me to do things, makeup artistry as well. But if they were calling me and asking me to do, let's say, a, a shoot, a one-day shoot with one model, I'd say yes. But if they were calling and asking me to do Fashion Week, I'd say no, because I recognized something was off enough 
that those that you know you got to move quickly and there's going to be you know potentially 20 girls in the chair and I you know for some reason I wasn't able to do that but it was happening slowly and I think when it was happening slowly it's almost like what you know it's a little like slowly gaining weight right or, or losing weight when things happen incrementally you, you just you can kind of ignore it and also because as I was going through the years as as the symptoms again got a little bit uh, more advanced nothing so terrible but I was asking doctors, I was feeling sort of stiffness in my left arm, which is my predominant hand. I was finding that my fingers weren't moving independently from each other so well. And I would ask doctors and they would say, well, you're getting older. You probably don't work out enough. You should probably take more vitamins. Are you drinking enough water? And I thought, probably not, probably not, probably not. So, all right, if that's the answer, I'll just go with that. And so, you know, a lot of doctors sort of brushed it off as nothing and just the aging process. And so I continued to ignore it was able to continue to do education and then started getting calls to go on air on QVC and HSN. And so there was another way that I could sort of avoid doing makeup artistry. Now I was presenting on air, I was writing the programs. So I was avoiding for a long time. That was like, the whole process probably started like 10 years ago. Five years ago, as I, at the time I was working for Josie Marin, I was writing artistry and education, I was going on air. And at some point, my abilities shifted just enough that I started to have trouble doing my own makeup. So now it wasn't just who was in my chair. I was getting slower with my own ability. And I thought, well, this is crazy. Like, there's got to be something wrong. This is not normal. It can't be because I'm not drinking enough water. And so I ended up, and, and actually there was somebody who I'd seen, a, a trainer who sort of had said to me, you probably should see a neurologist. So I listened to them and I saw a neurologist. And within like two minutes of being in that office, he actually said to me, I think you have Parkinson's. And I said, and I said, like, you know, you probably can't answer this, but like one to 10, how, like, if you were a bet, like, bet man, what do you think? Like, how sure are you? He said, well, I'll give it a nine. And I thought, oh, hey, I wasn't actually expecting you to answer that question, but nine is a really high number. So let's look into this more. And I got the test that you need to get. To, and then was, you know, the diagnosis was confirmed that I had Parkinson's. And I, that was kind of the day that Guide Beauty was kind of first formed, really, because I was sitting in that room. My father, who's a retired physician, was with me, and the doctor came in and told me that, uh, you know, they were confirming I had Parkinson's. And I think I sort of, like, you sort of blank out a little bit when you hear sort of not the best news in the world, right? And when we left, my father said, you know, you look like you kind of sort of went someplace else. So how, are you, how are you feeling? Are you okay? And I thought to myself, all right, well, yeah, yeah, I'm all right. And he said, well, where did you go? And I'm sure that a lot of things crossed my mind, but one of the most distinct was, how am I going to do my makeup? Because, you know, it was more than, you know, this has been my career. This is 25 years of my career. It's so it's my livelihood. It's my passion. It's my creative outlet. The friendships, the bonds I've made has been in this world. It was, it's something that means so much to me. And I was really afraid of the idea of not being able to hold on to that. But there was also something empowering in that moment because I had spent years slowly losing an ability and not really sort of accepting or, or being totally aware of what was going on. And now I knew what was happening. I knew I wasn't crazy. I know what could potentially be. And I had the opportunity to address it and sort of try to challenge it and take control. And so I kind of ran home a little like, you know, sort of, I, I get very focused. I like creating, I like sort of solving problems. And when I sort of hone in on something, I get hyper-focused. And I thought, 
All right, well, this could potentially, I don't know how it's going to progress, but it's Parkinson's, so let's assume it's going to progress. I already feel a disconnect, but I now know what Parkinson's is. I know what the disconnect is. I'm going to start solving for it so that I don't lose this ability. I don't lose what I love to do. And I started to create my own tools. I started to create my own formulas, my own prototypes. And at one point, I had something that was actually for mascara, and I was playing with it, and I was working it together. And I remember looking at my husband saying, Honey, this is so much easier. Like, I, look what I just did. Like, I, this would have been great. You know, I actually, and as I was thinking about it, I said, wouldn't it have been nice all those years working with sort of thousands of clients, right? And most, I think most people can identify with having challenges with certain makeup techniques, applying eyeliner, mascara, brow, things that create definition can be challenging, right? And I, you know, I was in artistry and education. My passion was teaching people how to apply makeup and for, you know, all best intentions, you can teach somebody something, but there's a difference between teaching something, understanding it, and then executing it. And I, I sort of come across something with this one mascara prototype that seemed to serve as sort of the connector between whatever that disconnect between understanding what you want to achieve and being able to do it. The tool in my hand was making it easier, if that makes sense. And I said, you know, again, wouldn't it have been great if I had had this all those years? And I think that was sort of that light bulb moment, that moment of did something that obviously is not the best news in the world, did something beautiful just, was something beautiful born out of this moment? Maybe I can actually create something not just for myself, but for all the women and men in my makeup chair and friends and family who said, I wish I could do makeup the way you did it. I wish I had the confidence. I wish I had the skill set. Maybe I could create it for them and anybody who's going through something similar that, to what I am. And that's when I really got going. And I worked on it by myself for a little less than a year. And then I knew I needed a little bit more help. And that's when we went to a design team. And that's really when things sort of went on to a whole new level. Okay, I have a bunch of questions for you. And for our listeners, Terry said I could ask her anything. So... <laughs> How old were you when you got this diagnosis? So I'm 47 now, so it was five years ago is when I got my diagnosis. Okay. And do you have children? No children. One one very so good. Me too. I'm a fur baby. I have a fur baby for mom. So really, I think you and I can relate on this. I don't have any children. Your job is like your baby. And all of a sudden, at early 40s, when you think you're going to hit this great place in your career you're being faced with a huge challenge. Yeah, yeah. You know, again, I was so passionate about what I was doing. And my, I was really fortunate. My career was moving along so well, right? Like, and and even in, in this sort of unknowing, pivoting, because, you know, obviously there was, I was sensing something was wrong. I was still fortunate that I was pivoting in a really great direction. But there were things, there were, there were times along the way where I feel myself trying to hide a little bit of a shake or there was, you know, obviously I couldn't take a, a job working fashion week. Like there were moments and getting the diagnosis, you know, I, I talk about how empowering it is because knowing what's in front of you allows you to then deal with it and sort of in, in tackle it and, and own it in a sense. But I had to grieve a loss at that point, right? There was that moment of, you are no longer who you were. You're not ever going to be who you were. So who are you going to be now? I love that because I think that that was going to be my next question. You know, you made it sound like it was this easy transition. Okay, it was born that day and I started doing this. But I want to know the truth. 
was there a time of depression where you laid in bed thinking, oh, crap, <laughs> I don't know what to do? You know, I feel like the way that I tend to react in moments like this, you know, surprisingly, everybody, you know, everybody has things they have to, and challenges they deal with in life. So I had good perspective. This was a, a certainly a, a hard challenge that I was being faced with. Would I say it's the hardest challenge I've ever had to face in my life? No. <laughs> so there was a few things that happened before this that I think toughened me up in life a bit. But I also know myself well, well enough to know that my first reaction is nobody's going to tell me I can't do this. I'm going to take charge. I'm going to create. I'm going to figure it out. And so I go into that mode. And then when things start to quiet down and calm a little bit, in those silent moments when you can't hyper-focus on, on what you're trying to sort of solve for or fix, those are the moments that you start to deal and heal. So I think it bubbled up in different ways. I mean, when I first started working, sort of actually before we launched, I have a really close friend who I grew up with in the industry. We were in education together. We worked in some product development together. We did on-air training together. And she and her husband have a production company. And I wanted to create a video to produce for Guy. And she was interviewing me for it. And I had felt like, you know, people kept saying, well, you're awfully strong. You're off. Like, doesn't this affect you? And I was like, well, you know what? I've got, you know, this is where my mind is and, and I feel strong and I, and I know I can tackle this. And it, somewhere along the way, she asked me a question about what makeup and what my career meant to me. And I started to talk about it and just completely burst into tears. There's like five minutes of me bawling <laughs> on video. I remember, I remember getting the, the, the footage. I was like, I don't know we're going to be able to use any of this. <laughs> this, is, this might be a little too much. But it was cathartic, too. Like I, It made me realize there's still some mourning that I hadn't done at that point. So, I mean, I, you know, certainly not a robot. Like, you know, you have, to, you have to mourn. You have to accept it's okay to grieve and be sad. But at the end of the day, you then still only have one of two options. You stop and sit in your sadness or you take charge and you move forward. But I don't know that you can move forward completely until you allow yourself to grieve completely. And so there was that, that process for me. It just I think it was just a little delayed. Well, it humanizes you in front, you know, like it shows people how important your brand is to you. And I, the, the element of crying publicly and being vulnerable is also powerful. I think, you know, it, it allows people to connect with you and really feel what you're feeling. And my goodness, that sells nowadays. We are longing to connect with other people and to feel heard. And, you know, I think what you're saying, you know, it's all, we're in this, one of my favorite COVID sayings is we are all in this storm together, but we really all are in different boats. So if you could, you know, a health thing is, is serious, but really what you're saying right now is going to be so helpful for people who don't know where to go next. And, it, you know, cause a lot of us are still out of work and on lockdown. So I love that you're sharing this so openly and honestly, because it's going to give people inspiration to move forward. So I would just want to pause for a second and thank you for that. Oh, my gosh. But thank you for giving me the opportunity to share. I find that, especially because I grew up in my, I think my parents' generation is a different generation and you didn't share as much. And so I grew up sort of holding on to a lot. And as I got a little older and made, and had friendships and relationships with people who were more open and learned to share and open up, 
that's when we all grow stronger together because you don't want to feel isolated like you're the only one going through something. If you can see other people experiencing it, just even just to cry together is a great moment. And then to see somebody come out, out on the other side. And so certainly I've had people do that for me. So thank you for, for saying that. You know, I've gotten some of my best consulting gigs, so to speak, and and some of my best on stage opportunities because, and I know you're going to relate to this because I could feel it when you were saying it. I look at the beauty industry as something that has saved me several times. It has helped me heal. Like you said, you heal and you deal. You heal and you deal. September 11th, were you in New York when that happened? I was in New York when that happened. Yes. Uh, yeah. I certainly remember that, that day getting up for work and getting the phone call to, you're not going anywhere. Turn on the TV, look out the window. Surreal, surreal. Yeah, I, that's when I segued into the beauty industry is I was a lieutenant and that hit really close to home. And I became an esthetician when I took a leave, you know, just shortly after that. So, and during my divorce, I was married before, like there's so many times where I could just focus on helping other people look and feel beautiful. And that's healing to practitioners. I so get it. It's such an intimate moment when somebody's in your chair as an esthetician, as a makeup artist, you're taking time and you're saying you're valuing somebody. First of all, it's a moment and it's all about them. And, and it's sort of letting somebody know that they're worth it. And sort of this canvas, this foundation that's in, in front of me, I want to care for it. I want to celebrate it. And I think it reminds people that they're seen and it allows people to sort of feel better and, and feel celebrated. I just think it's such a it's such a special connection. I, it's like it's when I was younger, there was a, a time in my life where I found it hard to connect with people. And I don't know if you experienced this, but I have never had somebody in my chair and not been able to connect. There is like there's just something about that moment that is just it's just a connection made, right? Yeah, I agree. And sometimes it's so much easier to be chatting during a facial or an eyebrow wax than it is sitting at dinner with somebody. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> where it feels, yeah, because it's just, it's organic, right? And, and also because I think for the most part, if you're in our industry, you're in it because you do care, because you do want to, because you're passionate about what you're doing and because you want to celebrate somebody else and you want them to feel cared for. And so, you know, when you're there, I think somebody can feel that energy and probably wants to open up a little bit more. And so it's amazing the things that right that come out and the conversations that you have with people that yeah. uh, whenever you whenever you leave that environment, that sort of yeah, bonds you not just to that person, but probably to human beings in general. I agree. And, you know, it's a different vibration in that treatment room or in that area where you're providing that type of service to somebody. I got a phone call yesterday and I'll share this with you that I thought... It's almost like when you have a conversation about beauty with somebody, you are instantly friends with them. That's why I like this show so much. But I get a phone call yesterday. Somebody booked an appointment at my spa for Wednesday. And I go, oh, no, I didn't block that day off. I'm mandated not to work since March. So I called the woman. I had not met her before. And I said, I'm so sorry. I didn't block that day off, but I can't see you because unless you want a facial out by a trash can in 120 degree weather, we're allowed to work outside. And she said, honestly, I'm a nurse here from Texas in California, helping at one of your hospitals. And I'm becoming clinically depressed because I have such bad cystic acne right now because I don't know what to do. So I just sat on the phone with her for like 30 minutes saying, well, try icing it. Here's some products, cut this out of your diet. And then I asked her what's going on at the local hospital. It was like this immediate friendship where we just connected and really supported each other. And I thought, this is so cool that women can do this. and don't even know each other. 
That's right. And it does remind you because when we're sort of all going through life, we pass people and we don't know them. And you wouldn't relate with somebody in daily life any other way, right? You would, it's very easy to sort of pass by and sort of not even consider who might be somewhere in your orbit. But in this space, it does allow you to do that. That's really nice that you were able to help her. And you find out actually now with what's going on with the pandemic, you find other ways to help people with, like you just did, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, I put on my VIP list when I get to go back to work. I'm calling her and getting her in there because, you know, it, it just dealing all day long in that environment and then taking that mask off at the end of the day and feeling gross and inflamed. I want to help her as much as I can. So, and I'm sure it's not physical change, but what she's seeing is a reminder of what we're going through. So there's yeah. A lot of wanting to just erase it so that sort of just be able to escape from what's not an easy time. Yeah, for sure. So I have a problem anyway, and I probably should get some of your guide beauty stuff. I want to know, was your first product mascara? Because I poke myself in the eye. This is probably why I'm not a makeup artist. Maybe these people were doing me a favor. You know, the one thing I always say to people is, particularly around eyeliner and, and people talk about like liquid eyeliner and doing sort of a wing or sort of a, you know, and balancing the eye and how long it takes them. And no makeup artist has ever said, I'll be there in two seconds. I'm just going to throw on this wing liner, right? Like there are just certain things that, that take a little bit more time. And also with certain makeup like mascara, you're asked, you're getting so close to your eye with a fairly sharp or pointed object. And when we try to rush it, None of us have rock steady hands, so it's not so hard to either poke your eye or, or drop something. So, you know, even without a physical limitation like Parkinson's or MS or arthritis, the average user, makeup user, and even the artist is prone to do it. Sometimes even before I had issues when I was like I'm trying to just be quick, certainly have, have done the poking to the eye more than once, and it does not feel good. <laughs> Yeah. So what is in your line now? Is it, did you come out with your hero product, a liner or a, yeah. I mean, the first, I knew that I wanted to start with the eye area because, you know, it started because again, doing this for so long and having had that, you know, sort of adding up the thousands of people that I've worked with, the eye area just seems to be one that is super challenging, but it's also an important one because things like eyeliner and mascara and brow create definition and definition is how you celebrate a feature. And when you can do that, you can actually wear less and sort of get better, greater results with your makeup. So I wanted to tackle those things first. Again, fine level, like high precision, fine motor skills, high level precision. And I don't know if I mentioned, but when I took my prototypes to a design team, they were actually a design team that specializes in human factors engineering. Which And so we took this approach of what's called universal design, which I am so obsessed with I think it is such a brilliant approach just doesn't have to be makeup in anything we do because universal design is sort of this concept where you try to think as inclusively as possible think of the person who has the great you know just not certainly across you know gender and ethnicity and skin tone and all of that but also across skill set and if you think about and, and sort of factor in and consider for those who have the greatest challenges when you do that through universal design, you end up creating a better product for the whole. And sort of the example I like to share is OXO. I don't know if you have any of their stuff in your kitchen. If you look through your kitchen, you, you might find it. I've had it for years. I never knew the backstory of it, which is it's, a, you know, it's spatulas and, and peelers. And it was created by a husband for his wife who had rheumatoid arthritis because she had the need. 
and he ended up sort of changing the way that we cook. And so it's it's actually the num- one of the number one kitchen brands. It's like you know, uh, red and black branding. Do you know? They, yes, and they have these rubbery, soft, rubbery handles because before that everything was hard and metal handles, and we all buy it. None of us actually know the background story, but we buy it because it was created for that need. They actually ended up just creating an easier, more comfortable hold for everybody. That's kind of, it's just, they're a great example of universal design. So we took that approach when we started. And what we ended up with is sort of our, should I start with the hero product? The island? You know what? Are you going to show it a little bit? Because you guys listening in, I just started not just on iTunes, but now this is on YouTube. So you can head over to YouTube and, and just put in Lori Crete and the Beauty Biz Show will come up. But if you're going to do that, I'm going to blow up your screen a little bit. Do you have a product there? So, okay. Absolutely. And there I'm, we go. I, I'm trying to think what I don't have on. I can always add in. Okay, so can you hold it up to the screen? I just want to see what you're talking about with it. Like it has a little handle on it, right? Yeah, so this is the wand, our guide wand. And so when you think about a traditional tool that you use for eyeliner or mascara or brow, a lot of them are sort of thin, long barrels, and you're sort of forced to hold them with a tight grip, sort of freehand coming in with your arm up. And when you make a grip, I hate to use a golfing analogy, but I'm going to use a golfing analogy. When you grip like that, you automatically lose a certain amount of fluidity and and sort of smooth motion. And so you're less controlled when you come up to your eye. And so what we wanted to do was two things. We wanted to create points of stability and we wanted to soften your hand and soften your grip. So by doing this, so here's the one. So there's this little, I don't know if you can see that. There's a little divot. Yes. So the wand sort of rests comfortably in your hand. That's the only point of stability you need. This is a the other side, which is rounded. That, oh, yeah. The applicator itself, this is removable. It's a soft, flexible. It has a wind, see-through window for visibility. The edge is longer. You can see that. So it's a wider, but it's really thin and precision. So when you apply... So you guys just listening in, I want to give you a description. To me, it looks like a big expanded needle head, right? Where you thread a needle almost. Yes. Okay. That's a great description. I've never heard <laughs> before, but that is a great description. So exactly. So again, so rest, soft grip, index finger on that point. Some people hold like this, but I always say sort of hold it like a prize. And, and there's more than one way to obviously to use it. The eyeliner itself. We even just with the pot, you know, a lot of times they're just sort of, yeah. we created more purchase room to hold. So if you can sort of see it's triangle on top of triangle. So oh, that when you, you get a good grip. Grip. you can get a good grip to open and close. The eyeliner itself is a sort of a cream that's been pressed. So it's not a traditional, it's not a gel and it's not either even a traditional cream. It's almost like if you took a pencil formula and pressed it into a and sort of, what normally you'd see a cream in and the reason we did it a little firmer is because you're using a different tool and you don't want to pick up too much product you want to control because really what you're trying to do is just get a really thin coat of product on the applicator itself that way you don't have a lot of like goopy gloppy you know so and you're just gliding so I like to glide both sides so top that's all you and then this sort of bends back. Oh, I still need this in my life. That's really all you need. And what this allows you, the formula was created to be safe for both top line and water line. 
So if you want to do your water lineup, because my hands shake, I like to use the resting points. So I'll rest first. I can see that. So she's putting inside her eye right now, waterline for those of you listening on iTunes. And you're going to want to head over to YouTube and check this out because it's I'll super. Cool. Oh, thanks. And let me know if I need to come closer. So rest first, because normally with a pencil, you would have to touch your eyelid with the product before you start the whole application. So if you don't get a perfect, if you don't start in the, in the right spot, you're already kind of a little bit behind the ball, right? So this way you can ground first, steady your hand, tilt, and then just rest, tilt, takes two seconds. Now, let me ask you this. How long does it stay on the wet area of the eye? Because I'm so sick of poking myself in the eye, getting it all over my contact lenses, and then it's gone in 10 minutes. So this is a water-resistant formula. It has incredible wear. So the only thing I would tell you, if you use it on the top line, so waterproof, water-resistant is, in any product, is incredible for water. If you have a very oily lid, Oils can break down any waterproof liner. So what I just recommend is either using for your top lid, I would use either a primer or just a little powder over your lid to set so that because the oils, as you know, you know, are coming from the brow, right? And they start to transfer down and they can break up your eye makeup or any of your makeup. So if you are somebody who has oilier, find you have an oilier skin type and it's breaking down your makeup, that's sort of a little trick. But if that's not an issue for you, don't eat you. With this formula, it's rock solid, so you wouldn't need a primer outside of that. You know what I'm feeling? It's like I had this one product, and I've been looking for it again forever, and I can't find it. Those coal sticks that used to take and run in, because I liked it because it stayed on forever. Yeah. And dramatic look. Is that kind of the same consistency? That's exact. You are so good at this. <laughs> I need to steal these. These are perfect. That's exactly right. That's exactly right, because those formulas... They are, it's like that perfect example of rich and luxe. It's not so creamy that it's, um, it's not like a peanut butter, right? Like it's almost more, it's like a, almost like a polish or like a bomb type of texture. And yeah. that's what you got with those pencils, but this is more in the, in the pop formula. So you're not sort of digging in, you're just gliding. And that way, I mean, you can even do a little wing. Oh yeah. I love marketing products. This is how I get my consulting stuff because I am fascinated with how things work and how the consumer is going to fit it into their life. And oh my gosh, it looks so good. Thank you. It's just, I can't do this anymore with the traditional sort of brushes and, and tools that I used to use, but I didn't want to give this up because again, it's, it's eyeliner. It's like, a, it's just a standard for creating definition and I have, it's normally wouldn't want to have your mascara on first, but if you do the top line, I like to start in the center and work out. So I did, let's see if I can get over my lashes and you just glide. Oh yeah, just across your eye like that. Oh my goodness. So, you know, this woman who was my mentor and doesn't even know it had told me forever ago, I said, how did you become so successful? She was in the movie industry and she said, you can become successful anytime you make something convenient for somebody else. So that's really what you've done is made this convenient, easy to use. Have you found in marketing this, who's buying it the most? Is it just women in a hurry? Cause it'd be perfect for that. Or is it people, like you said, like my friend Cassie, she has cerebral palsy. This would be perfect for her, but who's your market ending up being? Sometimes you have to throw it out there and see what comes back. 
Yeah, and it's funny because I, I feel like, you know, I always think of sort of old school marketing in every company I've ever worked with. It was like, define who's your customer. And we would do it down to a T. Like, her name is Sarah, and she lives in California, LA, and she drives the this, and her, she has a job as an assistant in, the, in a PR office. And, and with this, I was like, we're not defining a person. We're creating a community. And the community is anybody who wants a better, easier, faster way to have control of their makeup. And that could be if you are, like you said, I'm a young mom, you're working, you don't have time. You could be the novice user just learning. You could be the sort of the enthusiast who's looking to get some more advanced skill set. You could be the makeup artist who wants to work a little bit more quickly, or you could be somebody who has a physical imitation who might have tapped out before they ever even got started because they felt like the industry wasn't creating for them, right? And so I just want to, on a lot of levels, I want to create a, not just the products, but sort of an environment that says, this should be fun. I mean, this is, it is a form of artistry. Right, like it, painting, like get in there and play. It doesn't have to be perfect the, the first time out, but let's find an easier way so you can play in this world because it's you know it's it's playtime, it's creative, and it's also such a beautiful form of self care. It's how we can celebrate our features and our faces. So I think that you, you sort of you hit the nail on the head that it is across the board. You know, we created it specifically in mind people who had those certain physical limitations to ultimately create a product that somebody who doesn't can use and benefit from, right? I feel like I want to share this with you and I'm looking for paperwork over here because I know I'm going to mess the woman's name up and I hate to be disrespectful that way. But did you see the Super Soul Sunday that was on with Oprah a few weeks ago? Her name was Zaneeb Selby. I believe that's her name. And she goes into war-torn countries and helps women that are just trying to... And she told this great story on Super Soul Sunday how... She went into this war-torn country and she asked the women, what can I bring back for you? And the leader of the the women there said, we want lipstick. She's like, you want lipstick in a war-torn country? And she said, yeah, because it makes us, it's easy to put on. That's what she said. And we can use it every day. And that's how we're, you know, fighting this war is by looking and feeling beautiful. And nobody can take that away from us. I love that. It reminds me of for women that just, you know, want to feel better, want to look better, want the ease of it. Yeah, I love I love that story. It is true. I mean, there is something, it's probably another reason that I didn't want to let, you know, when I talk about not wanting to let go of my ability to do makeup artistry, it's also something I've owned. I can decide how I want to put myself together and step out into the world. And it's, a you know, getting your hair cut is, you know, or, or even blown out, could have it once a week, you know, you can figure out an outfit, but your makeup is very personal and it's something you want to be able to do for yourself. And so uh, it is sort of, for me, you know, even from a young child, there has been something so empowering about makeup. So I love that somebody else identifies with, with that experience in that moment, you know, so you know, we joked about having cocktails during COVID, but it is, it's, it's a cocktail, it's a lipstick, <laughs> It's uh, the, the things we can do to sort of have a little celebration, right? That's why I started putting this show on YouTube. It was really strictly on iTunes for a long time, for years. But then I thought, well, let's all have a reason to do our makeup during lockdown. Right, right. <laughs> I'm excited. I actually have to wash my hair a few times a week and put my makeup on. So that's why we're here today on YouTube. <laughs> I love that. And I appreciate it too, because if you spend enough time not doing it when it's time to get dressed, I think the first time after, you know, all this started and I'd been home, 
I was getting ready for something and I thought, do I know how to do this anymore? Do I know how to pick out an outfit? <laughs> like, you don't, I don't want to, you know, you don't want to lose it. And also, you know, you have to figure out, you know, I still live here with my husband. And so it's easy to get into your, you know, into your pajamas and do nothing. So we have date night and want to make, put myself together for date night. You know, we may just be going out onto the, to the patio or into the, into the yard, but you know, it's something to get dressed for, right? Oh my goodness. I know what you're saying about this because I have to travel this weekend to Montana. Oh, wow. I've been trying to pack for four days. I have not been in anything except for Lululemon shorts and these big, weird, flowy sundresses for so long that I'm terrified to even try my jeans on. But I said that to Jay yesterday. I go, I don't even know how to get dressed anymore. Right. And the fact I couldn't go to work, I throw on my uniform. So it wasn't like I had to, you know pack a suitcase or do anything like that. So you're, you're spot on. What other pieces of makeup getting back to that? Because I want to know more. Do you have in your kit? So we started with the guide wand and the guideline pressed eyeliner. And then we have do the, let's do mascara. So with the mascara, again, when you hold something, I'll just take a pen, but you hold this, you're coming at your eye, whether it's this way, it's usually this way. Now your, your hand is, Horizontal. <laughs> yeah. Think about it. And so again, there's more room to shake. You're coming, there's a distance between your hand and your eye, right? And so you're coming and you're trying, you know, with mascara, as we know, we're trying to get to the very base of the lash because if you don't get to the base, you weigh down your lashes. You want to start at the base so you can build them up and get them to, to curl, right? But so the closer you get into the eye and you're shaking, that's when that, that poke happens. So one of the first things we wanted to do was unlock the hand because that's, again, how you're going to get that fluid, more controlled motion. So, And by unlocking the hand, if you watch somebody do makeup, or if you think about it next time you're doing makeup, we always sort of look for ways to steady and ground our hand for application when we're using any products. We're, all, we're like self sort of trying to work out the moment with maybe a tool that is a little bit more challenging. So by doing this, so here's our mascara. It's a tubing formula. We did a really thin precision edge brush so that didn't matter your lash length, your eye size, you could get in there. So if your hand is steadier, you're just going to benefit by having that sort of that freedom with your hand open because you're just using that little ring. You're just sliding in. And you can use, there's a little thumb rest there, so you can use the thumb rest. For me, especially with this in my left hand, which shakes the most, I need a little extra grounding. So whether I'm doing this or I'm just doing this, I can get in there. So she's placing her thumb. Again, you guys got to head to YouTube and watch this on her cheeks. Oh my God, this is amazing. And why did it take people so long to figure out we need a smaller mascara brush? <laughs> right. I don't know what happened. I mean, listen, certainly people are, the jumbo brushes people have loved. And I understand why people think bigger brush, bigger lash. And if you love them, I'm, I'm a proponent of use what you love. But the truth is, the smaller brush allows you to build from the base, right? Like, and that's what you need if you want. You can build up the same level of volume, but if you don't get started at that base, you're never going to get the curl to your lash. You're just going to weigh those lashes down. And also, you can then use the same mascara for bottom, which is what I'm doing now. Do you have black and brown or just black? At the moment, we have black. It's a tubing formula. It's got all the formulas are vegan, cruelty-free, clean. And I liked the tubing formula that we created because I am one of those girls that mascara always runs on me. But I don't want to use waterproof every day because, as we know, it can be very damaging to the lash. 
So the tubing is like works like a waterproof mascara, but you can just take a little warm water and slide those tubes off at the end of the day, which is something very rewarding about doing that. But I like to tell people because until you know that that's going to happen, you actually think your eyelashes are coming off because those tubes were sitting in the same shape as your lash. But you, yeah, you just sort of pull them right off and you're good to go. Well, I'll tell you what, you can teach an old dog new tricks over here because I always am saying, well, why do my lashes go down every time I put my mascara on and I curl them and everything? It's just because I'm always in a hurry and I never started in that close to the eye. Yeah, yeah, it's like wherever it's almost like you're weakening if you're if you're looking at the lash and you miss that base part. Now you're getting it you're getting it so heavy above and that little part that you miss gets weaker and so, you know, then it just poof, it just falls down. Okay, well, tomorrow's a new day. I can't wait. And then then the last is the line currently, because we have some fun things going on with the guy lab, but is our brow. And so with the brow, again, because it's definition, I want to sort of this hybrid of what you can achieve with a pencil or a brush, but the ease of a brow gel. So we took, you can see these sort of very thin little precision brush. Oh, yeah. And sort of want to point out, see how that's sort of a firmer, they call this the rod, but it's firmer because when most of the time when you use these little brushes, they put them on something a little flimsier, but then they bend too much. So you can't work it like a pencil. So this way you can come in and whether you need more control or you just want to do it this way, you can work it like a pencil from this angle and then just sort of brush up and over. Watching you do this, it really looks, and maybe it's just your expertise, but it looks like you're getting pro makeup put on that you can do yourself. Exactly. That's exactly, because that's, I mean, it's, it's so interesting to sort of have landed in this kind of strange white space that it's hard to be, it's hard to, you know, and again, right now I'm, I'm doing just fine. So it's, it's hard to get too upset about something that I don't know what this will turn into, but it seems like this was a, in a lot of ways a gift for me because I just wanted so badly. I had such a, like from my early on childhood, like I said, I had such a positive experience. A lot of my self-worth came from playing with makeup and it helped me appreciate my features. And I just wanted to share with people. That's why I got into education. And for all those years of developing programs, I still always saw the disconnect. And I, but I, and I saw how much people light up and how good they feel about themselves when they get their makeup done. And there's no reason you should have to wait for a special occasion to do that. So to be able to now, because my sort of my, I couldn't create for what I couldn't feel. Now having this little disconnect in my hand, but understanding the mechanics of artistry, I now know where certain sort of tools and formulas sort of don't meet the need. And I wanted to create tools that would be the connector so that you could achieve the precision that you would get if you sat in the chair. So if anybody has that experience, then I'm a, I'm a happy camper. And then I did my job. You've created a magic makeup wand. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I will, I will, I will, somebody who lives in Florida and not that far from Disney, I will take that. <laughs> All right. Well, let me ask you a few business questions because that's why I started this podcast. I felt like as beauty entrepreneurs, we were taught skill sets but not a lot about business. So this is why I love it when women like you will come on and share the business aspect of it. And how long does it take to come up with an idea to get a prototype and then to bring it to market? How long was that journey? Three years. Yes. <laughs> so people think you're an instant success, they need to hear the truth. Yeah, no, it takes a minute. And I remember when I started, my partner saying, 
no matter how long you think this is going to take and no matter what people tell, tell you, it's always going to take longer. And I thought, yeah, sure. What, whatever. Let's see. He was not kidding. <laughs> it, it takes a minute. And especially when you are, you know, the exciting part about working sort of in the white space, doing something that hasn't been done before is you get to create it to be whatever you want it to be. I mean, obviously then there's challenges of, of explaining something to somebody and helping them understand how to use something that they've never used before. But it also means you're starting from scratch. And so there's a whole development process in there. And so, yeah, from getting our concept to working with the design team, and, and there was over a hundred iterations of this wand before we got it down. The eyeliner formula, there was about 39 formulas we went through until these two were a good match. And every time you make a little change, it changes everything else. And then you could create the perfect design, but then when you go to manufacture, sometimes those worlds don't mix, so you have to come back to the design team and say, well, they can't manufacture the way we designed, so now how do we marry those two worlds? Yeah, I just things happen. Just There's always the unknown. So, you know, everything takes a minute, which is why I was saying, just uh, talking to a girlfriend of mine, we launched our brands at similar times, and we both said, Thank goodness we really wanted to do this. <laughs> like we were rooted in this is what drives me. This is my passion because you know you're gonna have you're gonna have a lot of ups and you're gonna have a lot of downs. And I, I don't know how anybody sticks through any of it if it isn't exactly what where they want to be, you know. I love this because just recently I have an online business academy for people, beauty for practitioners, beauty professionals, and it's really focusing on mindset and mechanics of running a business as a beauty entrepreneur. And something that I've just recently started teaching on because I saw it popping up in my own world and I want to hear if it popped up in yours, is you get to this place where it's not fun anymore and you have to power through, through the learning curve of it. So most people, when they get to that learning curve, give up. Was there any point in time that you wanted to give up and gosh, you're happy you didn't because you powered through it? I don't know that there was any point that I wanted to give up, but there were certainly points where I felt like I wanted to hide under the table. <laughs> and and may have, I don't know if it was enough to give up, but I certainly, yeah, I can think to points where I might have been, I walked around the house and said, what have I done? Is this a mistake? This is crazy. I will say something valuable that came out of our design approach, this universal design approach. When you are creating something in that space, every time you run into what I might have before considered a sort of challenge or a roadblock, the design team was like, this is great. This is the best thing that could have happened. And I was like, why is this the best thing that could have happened? She can't use the product. And they're like, because this is the opportunity to make it better. And I thought, oh. I should really start using that in everything out at any time, even when we launch. You know, it's easy when somebody, it's so great when somebody gives you some positive, you know, reinforcement. This product worked for me. I loved it. It did everything. And you're thrilled. But you also need to hear the people who say, I struggled a little or I didn't understand something because that's the golden opportunity to continue to make it better because you're never done, right? Like it's always going to be a work in progress. There's always room to grow. So, and I, I certainly was aware that there was going to be tons I didn't know. I, I've always said, you know, you don't know what you don't know. I didn't know how much of, I don't know that there was going to be. <laughs> there was a lot. I have really good relationships. So I was fortunate that I've been able to surround myself with people who could sort of pick up and help me with those areas. But yeah, certainly there are moments where you panic a little and you wonder, how am I going to get through? But again, it just, especially when you do something that you are so hopeful will help people, 
when it's beyond just you, you don't want to give up even when those hard times come because you think there's a greater purpose to this. So, so suck it up, lady. Figure it out. <laughs> keep, keep moving. Suck it up, right? Right? Those are helpful. Helpful moments to hold on to. I think, you know, again, if I was just like, I just want to do this because it sounds fun, it might have been like, eh, forget it. But uh, it felt bigger to me. And it, it was just too important to me. And then at the end of the day, there was always that little bit of, you know what, if nobody else is on board, I'll still be able to do my makeup. <laughs> like I'll be able to do it for the rest of my life because we have a lot. Of, you know, <laughs> I've now created a whole brand. Fortunately, there was this gut that people would get it. And fortunately, out the gate, people did. So I, you know, thank goodness because you, you have to, you know, there's a mix of that, right? Like you got to believe in what you're doing and, and then hopefully, you know, people will, will pick up on it. You've just given some amazing success tips. First of all, people are going to want to know, where can we go to buy Guide Beauty? Do you have a URL or is it in certain stores? Yeah, for now, you can go to our website at guidebeauty.com. And you can also check us out on our Instagram, our Guide Beauty Cosmetics Instagram, uh, Facebook. If you have questions, our customer service is here for you at guidebeauty.com. And we, you know, we name the brand Guide because, you know, Obviously, want the the products to guide the user's hand to better application, but with an education background, we also want to be here to help guide you through the process. So we love when you reach out, whether it's on Instagram or customer service, bring it on, right? And uh, there's lots of fun videos and, and things to check out if you want to go to our, our website again, guidebeauty.com. What is your Instagram handle? We are Guide Beauty. Wow, I just forgot for a second. Guide Beauty Cosmetics. Okay, so the at guy beauty. All right, perfect. So I know that I asked you, for, you know, to think of some success tips. I always send that out in the show notes, but you've given so many. So I'm going to try to niche down maybe. And this has been a hard year for beauty practitioners, beauty entrepreneurs, because of all the shutdowns and a lot of people still aren't back at work. But I find that we're very creative. So let's say somebody listening in goes, you know what? I love doing what I do, but I have to pivot and I have this idea. What is your advice for somebody that wants to bring an idea to life and an area maybe they don't feel like they have any experience? Sure. I mean, you know, certainly I have learned so much in my career about the beauty business, but nowhere did I have sort of the business acumen and the know-how to, to do what I, where we're at today. I think, you know, there's a few things. One is this is an incredibly challenging time. And so just being able to keep your head above water right now, it's like, right like good and try to be kind to ourselves and it's scary but if you are fortunate enough to have had that conversation with yourself to realize there's something else that you're passionate about and that you want to do you're in a great position because imagine needing to pivot and saying but there's nothing nothing else I want so if you're your first step is if you've had that if you've identified that moment you're already you're sort of already so much further ahead of the game because you know what you want next. Now the next step is not having done this. You don't have to know everything. I certainly don't. But if you had if you can build the relationships, reach out. I think the biggest thing is don't be afraid to reach out because there's a lot of people around you and you might not even know who they are yet, but there's a lot of people around you who do know things. And if they're good people and they're trustworthy, kind, you know, they're valued people in your world, ask them because people can help you. They certainly helped me. I think that, you know, when people say, what are you most proud of? What's most important to you in, in life? It is my relationships. 
on many levels, but those relationships are also what supported me being able to get to where I am today. So I would say, yeah, if you've identified it, you're already ahead of the game. And then, you know, you know that you love it. Find the people who, who can help you and, and build upon that. Yeah, sometimes it's just throwing it out there to your friends and your family and maybe your clients. Hey, I need help with this. And it's as simple as that, but we get scared to ask. Yes. And it is amazing. You voice something. If you voice it to yourself, put it out there, you say it enough, you share with enough people, as long as you say it in a, you know, if it's a, an idea that you have to be careful about sharing with too many people because you don't want them to take it, that's something else, right? But as long as it's safe to share, I think you'd be surprised. Say it enough. Some, they'll, somebody will, will be interested, even when, a, you know, not to go off on another tangent, but even when it was time to sort of go to production, now you can call labs all day long. They're busy and they don't want to necessarily take on another, you know, unknown brand. Are you going to make it? Are you going to make us any money? Why should we listen? They get calls all day. And there was one company in particular who she took the time to hear my story and she said, I just, you know, there was that connection. She said, I, we don't normally do this, but I, I like what you're doing and I think I want to be part of it. And so she took a chance. And so again, I think I just decided that when it came time to do this, I was just going to be really open and honest and just put it all out there. And people were either going to pick up on it or, you know, again, like my husband said, we're just going to pack it up and get an RV, (laughs) figure something out. I don't know about the RV. But yeah, be open, share, share with those people that you trust. They'll help you. Awesome. Well, one more question. When's your birthday? What month? March, March 31st. Okay. So what does that make you? An Aries? I'm an Aries. Yes. Okay, grounded. Interesting. Oh, well, I have loved everything you've shared today. And I, I really, when your your peeps reached out to me, I go, oh yeah, I want to have her on the show because women, like I said, in the very beginning, we're just going to circle back, need to hear from beauty warriors like yourself. Like if you want to make something happen, then you have to power up, shift the mindset, step into the mechanics. And you're just a, an amazing example of, of a powerhouse who's doing this. Thank you so much. That made me feel good. So thank you. <laughs> thank you. I appreciate it. Awesome. Terry, tell everyone your website one more time before we say goodbye today. Guidebeauty.com. Awesome. Very easy. Guidebeauty.com. Thanks so much for being here. It was so much fun talking to you. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thanks for joining me for today's episode of the beauty biz show. If you enjoyed the show and you would take the time to leave a kind review over on iTunes, that is very much appreciated. And if you find you are left craving more beauty biz inspiration and success tools, then you're going to want to head over to beautybizclub.com, which is the premier online success Academy where talented practitioners go to maximize their potential and to become booked perfectly. Again, that is beautybizclub.com. And it would be my pleasure and my honor to help you tap into your highest potential in the beauty industry.